this one into the night. Jimmy Rollins is going to try for three. Here he comes. In the air, down the right field line. Way back there. On an RBI hit by Mitchie Poole. Here's the throw to the plate. It's in the air. He is. Oh! The 0-2 swing and a miss. Struck him out. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Phillies Nation podcast. I am your host, Ty Dobbert, coming at you with another episode post-trade deadline. The Phillies currently on this Tuesday night are getting blown out in Atlanta, so we decided to get a head start on this podcast, recap the trade deadline a little bit, talk about everything the Phillies did, and then some of the other contenders in both the National League East and in the wild card race. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, Nathan Ackerman. Nathan, how are you doing? I'm doing well. A lot to get into. Um, yeah, can't complain. Fun day. Yes, definitely a fun day. Also joining us on this pod from Phillies Nation, Tim Kelly. Tim, how are you doing? Any takeaways really quickly on trade deadline day? Yeah, just a crazy day. Like two day, two, three days leading up to it weren't especially crazy, but like yesterday and today were insane. So uh, happy it's over, but I enjoyed it. Yeah, so obviously, I guess the big headliners uh, that we should get out of the way, of course, the big one across baseball is Juan Soto getting traded from the Nationals to the Padres, along with Josh Bell. Padres sending back prospects there. They send Eric Cosmer to Boston in a separate deal. That's probably one of the biggest trades in recent memory, but a lot of other trades went down that we can get into uh, where some of these, some of these guys are going as for the Phillies, they traded for Edmundo Sosa um, earlier. They got him for Jojo Romero and, but here on trade deadline day, first they trade for Brandon Marsh. They get him uh, from the angels in exchange for Logan Ohapi. They get back old friend David Robertson from the Cubs in exchange for prospect Ben Brown, who they recently promoted to double-A, right-handed pitcher. Then the last move is they get Noah Syndergaard, former Mets pitcher. He's also with the Angels. So kind of a crazy day for the Phillies, but I don't know. Anybody have any thoughts on, on these pickups, and how would you grade the day overall? Yeah, the way I've kind of thought about it, like uh, initially my reaction to the Phillies giving up Ohapi in the the trade for Brandon Marsh was that it felt like a lot. But if you kind of combine the two trades with the Angels and you say you gave up Ohapi, Mickey Moniak, and uh, the other minor league outfielder that they gave up, it doesn't feel like that much to to give up to get two players. Uh, So I I think at at the end of the day, if you view things kind of from that lens, it, it worked out all right. I don't think the Phillies were necessarily going to get a number one starter, but they got someone that goes into that middle of the rotation with Ranger Suarez behind Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler. So they're in good shape there. And, you know, Brandon Marsh certainly is a flawed player, but I do think there's something to the idea of having someone that can go and get it in between for now, Kyle Schwarber and Nick Castellanos, and beyond that, in between uh, Kyle Schwarber and Bryce Harper, 
So uh, f- from that sense, it makes sense. And if the Phillies can get even anything out of him offensively, having him hit near the bottom of their order, they do. They got a guy that's under team control for quite a few years now. So uh, they added David Robertson. I thought the price was a little steep for a rental in terms of Ben Brown being a guy a few days ago. There were reports that they didn't want to give him up. To go from that to giving him up for a rental reliever, it, it felt a little pricey, but uh, certainly David Robertson's a guy. It, it's cool that he's going to get uh, get to come back here, and uh, I don't even want to say redeem himself because he didn't do anything wrong the first time. Is just got injured. It is what it is. Uh, he's healthy now. It's a cool story if he comes back and is able to have success. So I don't think the Phillies are the winners of the trade deadline, but if I had to give them a pass or fail grade, I, I'm going pass, Nathan. Didn't the Ben Brown thing just feel like posturing the whole time, though? I mean, you, you had a tier of prospects that was like Abel, Painter, Ohapi, uh, oh, sorry, uh, McGarry, and then you had you had Ohapi and then Ben Brown, and it always felt like he was kind of out of out of place there. It seemed like I don't know. It, it I I never bought that they weren't willing to move Ben Brown. Like I was I was in on the fact that they didn't want to move any of those top three three guys, but. I don't know. Ben, ben Brown feels like the kind of guy that you move in a trade to make your team better for the rest of the season. And that was, that was what they did. I actually thought that it was a fairly reasonable price. I'm, I'm sort of of the opinion that you can never have too many relievers. It, it felt like a good ad, even if they've been a better unit as of, as of late. Um, and then Ohapi for Brandon Marsh. I don't know. That one felt like kind of an overpay to me too. I guess they're saying that there's some things with Marsh's approach or his, mechanics that they think is a pretty easy fix so I guess I'm kind of open-minded I'm kind of skeptical for now but um yeah and then obviously the big trade I he's obviously not the kind of pitcher that that most people thought he one day could be but there is something to me where I kind of trust guys who have nasty stuff and can go out and throw in the high 90s in a in a you know, October game and could just shut an opposing offense down. Like that's, that's, that's the kind of thing that you could have a, I don't know, 450 on the season. And I'll be like, I feel kind of okay. Given that guy a game three start, obviously that's way down the, down the road. They have to get there first, but I think he helps them do that. So yeah, successful day. They didn't really go all in. Uh, that's, you know, something that they could have done maybe if they wanted to really maximize their window right now and go for it all this year. But when you think about their approach and the fact that they were trying to hold on to a lot of those top guys, they did pretty well for themselves. Like you said, I guess at one point, he's somebody that you could trust to go out there and throw with really nasty stuff in October. But this season, like the stuff hasn't been the same that it once was. He's been more like a guy around 92, 93. And that's even when pitching on extra rest, which, the angels had kind of promised him and I guess that's going to be something to watch with the Phillies I don't think there's clarity right now on what kind of schedule uh Noah Syndergaard is going to be on in Philadelphia so I overall agree that even though it is a rental they did not give up that much for Syndergaard he's somebody that you're definitely more confident in him taking the ball than what they had like Bailey Falter or Christopher Sanchez um, in the rotation but like you mentioned I think the other option that people were hoping for as some of the reporting came out is I think Carlos Rodon is is the name that is sticking out to people um, that would have really been like the all-in move he is an opt-out at the end of this season 
Um, and it seems that the Giants were not, I guess, thrilled with the offers they were getting. So they chose to keep him. They did like kind of like a, a half measure in selling where they're still kind of in the wild card race, but they still like they traded Darren Ruff to the Mets. Uh, so some other trades like that. Um, so, yeah, any any thoughts from you guys on whether the Phillies should have traded for Radon? I guess my thought there is that while I agree that they probably got good deals on the players they got, it would have been definitely would have been more inspiring if they were able to swing a trade for um, somebody who's a little more of a sure thing to be like a top of the rotation kind of guy where you have this like real big three going into the playoffs if you're able to get there. It would have been, but you're only guaranteed one year and ultimately you're competing for the third wild card spot. You think Bryce Harper is going to come back, but I mean, until he's back on the field, you don't know that a hundred percent. Like I, I just, I agree with the assessment that Dombrowski laid out pretty bluntly last week that it doesn't mean you can't win, but I, I don't believe that this is the team that you trade your top two prospects to go all in for. Um, then at what, when is the team? I don't think like, this is the thing people are, uh, there was this idea a few years ago, the Phillies need to go all in with Bryce Harper because after that, who the hell knows? Well, after that, you should not the, – the thought process should not be the team's going to fall off a cliff. The process should be the Phillies are going to start developing players from within and stay consistently good. Like most teams do not have the 07 to 11 run and then are terrible for seven or eight years after the fact. You should constantly be churning guys and bringing them up. And, if look, if the Phillies were what the Mets or the Braves are this year, then, yeah, I'd say – go in the Phillies are not that team this year and you need to be objective with that and I think you also need to kind of grasp that people look at Andrew Painter Mick Abel Griff McGarry like oh these guys aren't going to be here till 2026 I don't think that's true well yeah okay, I'm with you there real quick they about the the Mets and the Braves um and of course, arbitrary endpoints. But I think you can look at the Girardi firing, the promotion of Rob Thompson. And since then, they have been as good as some of these other teams, even when missing some of the players that they have been, like Segura and Harper for a big stretch. They've, they've been playing as well as almost any team in the big leagues since that move happened. And of course, that doesn't discount some of the, like, like the early season play. But the way they've been playing in general over the last couple of months has been ha, they've been right there with just about anybody. Well, plus, plus the other thing too, is like, do you have to, it, you don't have to be a postseason lock and think that one, one or two more trades are going to put you over the edge for you to finally go all in. If they were going to do that, they're never going to get there because I mean, let's be honest, they have some talent there. The new, PD guys are probably, you know, they can, they can, they can create a winning ball club from within, but you're not going to get to the point with that core where you're like, this team is a lock to make the playoffs, be one of the best teams in the entire league. And now one or two more trades are going to push them over the top to win a championship. It's like, when do you, when do you say we're close enough? We're in a playoff spot right now. It's time to go all in and become 
not just a playoff lock, but then when you look at the way that the team's constructed with that top three and the staff, like a team that can actually do some things in, in October. And this, it, it just feels like they're waiting for all the stars to align, everything to fall into, into place and them to just somehow magically become one of the best three or four teams in the sport. And then they can strike and say, oh, a few moves will push them over the top to win the whole thing. But I just don't see them getting there. I don't think, honestly, many teams are going to get there on their own without being somewhat aggressive on the trading block and all those the, kinds the of things. The Phillies so, have been extremely aggressive the last few years, last four or five years in terms of acquiring yeah, players from outside the organization. The, the thing is, though, the most games this group has won together is 82 games. So, like, if they don't show you that they're an 88 or 89 win team, at least, and you don't know if they are that, then maybe it, it was a flawed group to put together and you don't double down on that necessarily. I, I mean, the, the Phillies are in a situation here where you have gotten in this hole where you're having to buy so many players because you've gone so long without consistently developing players. And some years that means you're not going to do as well at the trade deadline or be the biggest winner of the trade deadline. But in two or three years, if you have Mick Abel, Andrew Painter, and Griff McGarry in your rotation, and two out of those three guys click, and you have them under team control for six years, you're going to be in really good shape. So, I mean, I get wanting to go in for Rodon. And the problem is the opt-out. Like, if he had the extra year, then I would have been a lot more inclined to consider that. And it, it just isn't realistic with the time window you have to work with to think that, oh, maybe you can work out some agreement where he chooses not to opt out. I don't know why he would agree to do that. Uh, so it, it, it was always kind of a, a little bit far-fetched and uh, it would have been great, but there's a reason. It's not just that the Phillies didn't make that trade. Nobody made that trade. There were a lot of big deals made. Rodon stayed probably because the Giants really didn't actually want to trade him. Which doesn't make sense to me either, because that seems, I don't know, they're four and a half games out. They're like right around 500. They don't look like any real threat whatsoever. Why not try to get what you can for him? But all right, here's my, my counter to that whole philosophy is I think that there's something to making it to October and playing playoff baseball at some point when you haven't been there in 11 years. I'm not saying that they need to push all their chips in just to try to win a wild card spot now, but teams don't naturally just go from like being a 500 team or winning 84 games and, you know, not making it there to being a title contender in a couple of years because you make a, a few trades. Like I, I, I do think that it would be somewhat valuable to this team if, let's say you sneak in with the final wild card spot there and then you get bounced in three games and it's not competitive at all. Like that's a step forward for the team and the organization. And at some point, not just because it's been 11 years, but partially because of that too, like making it to October is an important thing. And I think that that's like serves as a step that the team can take and make them championship contenders. And I think that there's, there's, it, it 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 shouldn't be viewed through the lens of oh, one or two more trades if you go all in now isn't going to make them the favorite to win the whole thing. It probably would not, but it would probably get them there. And that's a yeah. start. And they 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 might still, they might still, but I just think that there's it it shouldn't be an all or zero approach where it's like you either have to win the win the whole thing or there's no point in going all in. I, I don't think, think that there's was an all or zero approach though. They made trades. 
And yeah, like you, you say you can't go from mid eighties to title in a few years. I don't want to just look at Philly's history, but that's exactly what the Phillies did from like 2005 to 2008 is they went from that, even in 2007 and 2008, when they made the playoffs, it was a lot more minor additions, Joe Blanton, Matt right. Stair, guys like that. And then once you had proven that track record that you were a world series caliber team had been to the playoffs back to back years, then that's when you got Cliff Lee in 2009, Roy Halladay in 2010, Roy Oswald, Hunter Pence. That's when you did that after you had a sustained track record and it was clear there was a window with a team that like people have talked about the window the past few years. The Phillies haven't made the playoffs. Like it's hard for me well, to say, right, but, oh, but the window with this team, we don't even know that there is a window at all because they haven't even so, proven to be good enough. Well, but that's, but that's the point. Like, do you just wait this out? You never, that's not to discount the free agent signings that they make that they've made and, and stuff like that. But do you just never make a splash at the deadline? You don't make a splash for a rental. Oh, I You're talking about, you want to get into the playoffs and there's something to be said for getting into the playoffs for a team as you're building your team, which is true. But if you, one of the main reasons you get there is a rental that you may or may not re-sign, how much does that matter a year from now if Carlos Rodon is pitching for the Toronto Blue Jays? Well, because then the rest of the team at least has been there and they know how to play October games. And Reese Hoskins gets playoff experience and all these guys at least get there. The, the, the last team to win a title made the playoffs the year prior and they got swept. Like they, they lost in three games to the Colorado Rockies in 2007. Right. And then they won the world series the next season. So I like, I, I think that that's a valuable experience for them to have. And even if you don't do well there, even if you go there and you get blown out of the water, like playing October games is, is an important thing. And that, that helps your organization, even if the guys who got you there are going to leave that very next That's season. true. But in 2008, you acquired some controllable pieces that were maybe more niche pieces. You won a World Series and you saved some of your pieces. This is not the last trade deadline. This is not, there's going to be a winter meetings in the winter. You traded, you saved some of those pieces. You could have gone in for CC Sabathia in 08. Instead, you saved that and you went in for Cliff Lee and Roy Halladay years after when it probably made more sense for your team. So uh, I, I certainly am not against Rodon. I thought it, it was insane how undervalued he was on the free agent market last offseason. And yeah. the Phillies have played extremely well over the last few, uh, you know, six, seven, eight weeks, whatever it is. They've done that. I, I still think uh, the, the NL is just is absolutely loaded, though. And most likely, if they get into the playoffs, they are a team that's a first round exit. So I, I think you do have to be realistic about that and know that uh, you, you have really good young pieces. Like your farm system feels like maybe it's starting to turn the corner. It, it would be hard to gut that. And I think that that is one of the uh, challenges Dave Dombrowski has here is you're trying to balance the fact that you do have a lot of these guys that are ready to win right now. But they haven't proven necessarily that they are a team that's capable of making a deep postseason run. And you don't want to leave yourself where in two or three years you're absolutely screwed because you've traded away all your young talent to make the wild card. Who's, one, who's, one more, who's the most? One, I have sorry. one more count. Go ahead. Go ahead. I, I was going to say, who's the most you, you would have traded for like Rodon? I, I would go McGarry. I wouldn't go Abel type, but I would I would give up Griff Griff McGarry. I wouldn't have and, traded any of them for him as a rental. 
I would have okay. traded McGarry. I would. Have I, I would have to believe that with him, the Phillies are not just able to win the World Series. They're one of the favorites. I don't think they are. Um, I think they would have basically as any good a chance as any of the teams playing in the first round to make it to the World Series with a one, two, three of of Nola Wheeler and and throw down. But the other counter I wanted to have on uh like looking back to the the last great kind of era of Phillies baseball, like things you can take away on their trade strategy. While it's right that they didn't make a huge splat, huge splash in 2008. The other thing you can learn from is like, sometimes these guys that you're horrified to trade, um, like the, the risk of it isn't exactly as big as what you thought. Like the only bad trade that the Phillies really made from like that 09 to uh, 2011 range when they were buying and giving off prospects and players they once called untouchable, they ended up trading. You can think of Kyle Drabeck for Roy Halladay, um, trades like that. The only trade that they made that was bad was the one where they tried to replenish the farm system um, by giving up Cliff Lee, where it's tough to give up prospects. And there are certainly examples of um teams getting burned by it but at, at the same time and it, like you said it is a rental and I think if you have them in the building and you should you showed that you're willing to give up prospects for him like you'd probably think the Phillies would be willing to resign Carlos Rodon but the taking the guy who's like a sure thing that you know is a really good pitcher um, if it only if it takes one of those guys that you hope can turn into a good pitcher like you're probably having the better bet taking the the major leaguer at that point yeah what what i would say though is i wouldn't like rejoice if i was a phillies fan based off the fact that you didn't get burned on any of those trades because what it's indicative of is the phillies were about to go into a stretch of terrible player development for 15 straight years which is why they haven't been back to the playoffs since 2011 so realistically if you're making those trades sometimes you should get burned and that's the cost of doing business and the fact that they didn't get burned shows you the issues that they were having developing from within and what i would say to that is three or four years before that there was a thought the phillies have a new stadium you have jim tomey in his prime you have a lot of these uh, you had signed David Bell, which was a big deal back then, and Kevin Millwood, and like guys like Barry Zito were available, and you could have traded Chase Utley or Ryan Howard, and I know that that sounds insane now. It certainly wasn't back then. Uh, the, the Phillies probably would have traded Ryan Howard for Barry Zito straight up in 2003 if they could have. So uh, you need to be careful, and eventually some of these guys you bring up need to be wins. That doesn't mean that it's going to be 100%, but if you keep all three – it increases the chances that one or two of them are. And I think we saw this to a degree with like Vince Velasquez, Nick Pavetta and Zach Eflin. You spent a lot of ammo on those three guys, lots of starts. Velasquez was, it didn't work out. Uh, Pavetta didn't work out here. And I, I, he's kind of all over the place, but Zach Eflin, you seemingly did have a hit. Unfortunately, the knee things maybe have derailed that, but uh, that is kind of like the player development is not an exact process, but if you can get it right with some of these guys, that's how you consistently win. And I do think one of the problems the Phillies have had in recent years is that it's hard to build a culture when everyone has already gotten the biggest contract they're going to get. Everyone has already played for multiple teams and knows they're probably going to play for another team after like 
there is something to developing from within having guys come up together and building kind of a Phillies culture as opposed to having a team of very talented, but guys that are mercenaries in a sense. That is true, but also you win, you in the modern sports climate, like you win championships by spending and you, you probably use the in-house guys to get you to a point where you're like, okay, we can sign one or two more guys and that'll push us over the top. But in the end, like the Dodgers won in 2020 because of bets. And then they signed Freddie Freeman and they like, they just keep on going in and in. And when you look at the next few, you know, it like say the Dodgers win the world series this year, it's not going to be because of the guys that they had in house. Like, I mean, it would be Clayton Kershaw, I guess, but it would be the stars that they've brought in. And in this, in this, in this landscape, it just feels like the way that you win is you go all in. Maybe it takes sacrificing some prospects. Again, I'm not saying that they, they, you know, it would have been smart to trade Abel or Painter in a type of deal like that. But I don't know. At some point, like you, you use the PD and the drafting and all that to get to the point where you're like, okay, now we can really go all in. The Phillies have taken a different route to where they've they've spent so much that they can really go all in. But now they're on the doorstep and they're a good team. They're probably one of the, I mean, I would say they're one of the six best teams in the National League. Like they're a playoff caliber team right now. And if you add, you keep on adding, you sign guys, you trade for guys, you part with some prospects, even if it's not your absolute top guys, like that's how you're going to get over the top. And at some point they're going to have to do that because they're not going to get to the point where one or two more players will make them like the favorite to win the whole thing by just playing this conservative. We're going to make a few good trades, good. Like they, they had a good day. Like that's for sure. But it isn't, it's, it's, it's not the kind of thing where that's going to you know, set you up in the position where now one or two more guys can push you over the top. Like you're but just you going to have to, you're going to have to accelerate into the process somehow. You need to get into the position like the Dodgers where they have developed a lot of guys from within Urias, yeah. Tony Gonsolin, like you've developed some legitimate all-star caliber players. And then you can supplement that because you don't only have three prospects in your system that are considered blue chip. You always have eight or nine different guys. The Yankees are in the same situation. You go back to the trade the Dodgers made last year to acquire Trey Turner and Max Scherzer. If the Phillies had given up like Josiah Gray, Kieber Ruiz, it would have been three or four years until they were able to restock that. The Dodgers do that and they just kind of keep going because they have this system where you constantly have eight or nine guys that are like legitimate players. And I think the Phillies need to get to that position. And one of the ways you get to that is sometimes not going all in. And what I would say is I a hundred percent am for going all in. I think you do it in free agency though. Like I really do think it is overrated to a degree doing it at the trade deadline. I think doing it in the off season and getting the guy for a full season and signing them in free agency where maybe you lose a draft pick, but you don't lose a guy that's already at double A and has already shown you at the very least, like he's had some success as a pro. I'd rather have the guy at double A than have a potential second round draft pick or whatever the next year. So uh, I I get what you guys are saying. I I just, I think there needs to be both a short and a long-term view. And I, I generally think Dave Dombrowski did a pretty good job at balancing those two factors because you go back and watch the press conference or zoom conference. It was because it was during COVID when the Phillies dismissed Matt Clintock 
one of the biggest things was I remember John Middleton specifically saying the Phillies throughout their history have not consistently developed talent. And the two areas where they did consistently develop from within are the two golden areas and the rest are a lot of losing seasons. So uh, I don't think that just because you have a veteran team right now means you can afford to lose sight of that. Well, but then why are you trading Logan O'Hoppy, who figured to be your catcher in the, I don't know, three or four years from now for a guy like Veerling can play every day there. Then you have Johan Rojas going to come in and he can play that spot. It's like it, that was the only move that did, didn't align with that whole philosophy. I, I agree with you. I wouldn't have made that trade because yeah. I think JT Real Muto, as much as he's playing at a high level the last few weeks, is 32 years old and there's only so long. And I, I think like it, it's nice to have Garrett Stubbs or Rafael Marchand, guys that are backups, but like there's so few average or better catchers in the league that if you think Ohapi is going to be one of those guys, I probably wouldn't have. It would have taken a a much bigger player. It would have taken like you're trading for an ace pitcher or someone for me to include him in a trade package. I agree with you completely. Obviously the Phillies value Brandon Marsh more than. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I just, I think in the aggregate with the angels, like it's a fine trade, but I think I agree like straight up for Marsh, like it was reported at first before they completed the second part, it seems like, but I guess my last thing is if you wait until you're as good as the Dodgers on paper to make your splash, like it's never going to happen. And at the same time, the Dodgers have been the best team on paper every year for the last how many years. And at this point, they only have one championship. Like sometimes like you just got to give it the best go at it that, that you can. And once you're in the playoffs with, uh, with a good team, like you never know what's going to, what's going to happen. So I definitely, I, I see both sides of it, but. Um, you have one championship, but you've been in the NLCS like four times and multiple pennants. Like, sure, that's Definitely. that'd be one of the best eras in the history of Phillies. They, they have either been or lost to the World Series champion every year since 2016. Fun fact, right? So, uh, it's pretty crazy, yeah. And I mean, I just I don't know that the Phillies are at that stage yet, and I've I think Dave Dombrowski said it publicly last week that he didn't think that they were at the position where you give up your number one prospect right now or number two or number three. And I I understand that mindset. They still bought like it it really, I'm not trying to be an apologist for the organization, but I I do think they unquestionably got better. You are with, you've improved in center field, regardless of what you think of Marsh, you've improved in center field, you've improved your starting rotation, you've improved your bullpen. And you've done so without moving those top three who either they're going to pitch for you or they're used in a bigger trade down the line where you can get somebody control. But like if they had traded one of them for Luis Castillo, I could get on board more with that, I think, than, than doing it for Rodon. I, I just I wouldn't have done it for someone that you don't have any certainty beyond this year. And it's great to get them in your building and all that. Ultimately, like it's going to come down to whoever offers the most money. And frankly, I don't know if I would want to offer the most money for Rodon because he has had the injury history, which is the reason he had to settle for the two-year deal this past offseason to begin with. So that that's probably another angle of it is that like, if Aaron Nola was available from another team, a guy that consistently is just going to go out there and throw 200 innings, then yeah, I'd make that type of trade and be happy to extend him. Rodon, I think, is not necessarily that guy that you're 
sure is going to be really good for at least like three or four more years. Marsh. Um, he's kind of a former top prospect, really highly regarded prospect. He hasn't hit at the level people thought in the major leagues so far. And the Phillies seem to think that they have a little bit to unlock there. Um, so just kind of your overall thoughts on him. He's playing a lot of left field in LA because of course they have Mike Trout on the team, but he's a pretty, pretty good defender. Um, where do you think he fits in? What does that mean for Matt Veerling going forward? I think Veerling's like best role is probably always going to be like a fourth outfielder utility guy that can start if you're facing a left-handed pitcher or whatever the case is in center field he can on a day where like Bryce Harper's off then you could slide Castellanos to DH and Veerling can play right field so they're in good shape and, and honestly if the Phillies weren't so thin in center field I feel like Veerling's a guy that teams probably would have been interested in in some of these trades in potentially acquiring the Phillies just weren't in, even in a position to potentially consider moving him because they were so thin in terms of major league talent at that position. But uh, I will say if I had to like bet on a guy that's a great fielder and is questionable with the bat, like I probably would have preferred to do it with Victor Robles than with Brandon Marsh, but it is going to be nice to have someone for the Phillies to have someone in center field. That is a sure thing. You have that. The years of control is certainly valuable and we'll see what happens at the plate. I don't necessarily think like it's a bad thing. If like, he's just like your eight hitter and is a great fielder for four years. Like that's there's value in that. I just don't know that from the angels perspective, I would have done the trade 10 times out of 10. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I don't have a whole lot else to add there. The other thing is he gives some speed, which I feel like they don't have a whole lot of, um, but yeah, I don't Schwarber know. stole it's, a base tonight. Schwarber did steal a base today. You're right. You're right. He set a new career high. That was like six stolen bases. I saw Ryan Lawrence tweet that. Amazing. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, he can play the field. Like that's that's what you've been looking for out of that spot. They 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 weren't going to acquire a guy who's like, you know, can rake. Like that just was never going to happen. And as I I think as long yeah. as you find a way to keep. Center uh, fielders who rake like they don't get traded. For, yeah, and as long as Veerling can stay in the lineup on a like pretty regular basis, like get five starts a week, six starts a week, I think that's probably a good thing. So. I, mm, I I think Veerling it'll probably be more down to like three. He'll play against yeah. lefties in center, and then maybe fill in in the infield occasionally, depending how they shuffle the DH until Harper's back at least, but. Well, I think that's fine. One of the things I felt the Phillies needed and probably just weren't going to get to was a right-handed bench bat. That, that's something they don't have. And you've kind of created one in Matt Veerling. Certainly, yeah. like, if you could have had, like, a right-handed Brad Miller, yeah, that, that would have been a great pickup. But uh, Matt Veerling came off the bench and hit a home run off Josh Hader earlier this season. Like, he's clearly better than anyone. You, you had a really left-handed bench and – some of these guys floating on the bench, like D.E. Gregorius, that like just don't really even make sense as bench pieces. So Beerling is someone that makes sense as a bench piece because you can have him pinch it. You can have him go in at six or seven different positions. So uh, I kind of think that that's what he's best geared to do. And uh, I, I think playing him like six or seven days a week was probably overexposing him. But playing him two days a week as a starter and then he gets into a couple more as a 
replacement. I think he, he's going to fit that role very well. Quick question for you guys on the infield. You've kind of mentioned uh, Didi Gregorius. Do you, when they're fully healthy with Harper, Segura's supposed to be back soon. Is, is Didi going to last this season on the major league roster? And if he does, should he? I think he probably will. Um, Cause there's a, a ton of respect and to his credit, He's hit all right the last few games and made a few insane defensive plays. I wouldn't keep him because I think Jairo Munoz has been better and he's more flexible. He has experience on the bench. He can play multiple positions. He's a good fielder, uh, but you do have Sosa now. And uh, I, I do think like it, it does matter that Rob Thompson has the history with D.D. Gregorius going back to New York. And there is kind of this like respect that, the Phillies know he's not coming back next year, but I don't think that they want to dismiss him in the middle of the season, if at all possible, because by all accounts, he is a good guy, good teammate. It's just his body has hit, hit a wall since uh, the 2020 season. So uh, I think he'll last the season. It wouldn't shock me if he doesn't. But uh, yeah, I mean, if it was my choice taking emotion out of it that the Phillies may have given – knowing them knowing Didi Gregorius more extensively than I obviously do, I, I I would move on. I would keep Munoz. Yeah, me too. I, I mean, I think you're probably right. If, if you took contracts and you took history and you took everything out of it, he probably wouldn't even be on this team right now. He probably would have been off it a while ago. So, but there's a reason he's been around for the last several months, even I guess when you go back to last year too. So yeah, he'll probably, stick around the whole year on the on the major league squad i i agree with you tim if if he doesn't i wouldn't be shocked but i i, I don't think... know i mean it's it's just look as long as they're not starting him every day like if he's just on the bench and he's taking up a roster spot and he i does i, nothing, like, I think that would still i think that would still be egregious like it would be yeah sure when sure. they're healthy when they're healthy and when, when they are fully healthy or even just when Segura's back like he should not be playing over Segura. He should not be playing over Stott. And no. and Bohm is playing well. Like you can't take him off the field. Didi should not be playing over any of these guys. And then if you need somebody when they're healthy, like when Harper is back either in right field or at the DH, and you need a bench bat, if you need a, a left-handed, good. if you need a left-handed hitter to hit a homer off the bench, it it's not Hall. going to be Didi. It's got to be Hall when they're healthy. Yeah. Like yeah. there's he just doesn't have a place on the roster at this point. And like, like you said, it's unfortunate that it seems like his body is just kind of broken down. And there's a point where he was, he was a really good player, even for the Phillies in, in 2020. But I just, I, I'm with you where I like can see a world where he's on the roster, but it, it can't happen. Like the one thing I'll say is a year ago, you were giving, a ton of at-bats to Ronald Torres, who I don't even think is in professional baseball right now. Uh, and one of the things that I think Dave Dombrowski identified when he came here was a, a stunning lack of depth at the AAA level that you could bring up to the majors. This year, you brought up Munoz. You have Camargo down there right now. Like, you have a lot of different guys that uh, you, you've been able, I guess what I would say, you've been able to – turn that depth over in a year hit on some of these guys to the point where now you're talking about does Didi Gregorius have a fit Odubel Herrera seemingly is gone 
that wouldn't have happened a year ago. You wouldn't have had Jerry's Familia gone a year ago. Like the, there are uh, strides and steps that have been taken where the Phillies do feel like they're moving in the right direction in that sense, because uh, and Dabrowski said this, I think we've all said this, the top of the Phillies lineup, top of the Phillies roster is not the problem. The organizational depth has been, and it's maybe not where it needs to be, but it is significantly better than it was a year ago and certainly better than it was two seasons ago. All right. Do we want to hit on the bullpen real quick, Phillies reacquiring David Robertson? We mentioned before we hinted at it's kind of a reunion, a chance at redemption, even though it wasn't really his fault. Um, the fact that, you know, Torres UCL needed Tommy John surgery, ended up missing all but like a month of his Phillies tenure after signing a two-year contract. Where do you think he kind of slots into the Phillies bullpen right now? What's the role that he will take on? And just what, what do you think this does for Phillies bullpen that's like really been pitching well? They had a bullpen game today and they gave up a lot of runs. But, but before that, they'd been pitching really well. It sounds like Rob Thompson's going to keep Sir Anthony Dominguez in the closer, or at least some semblance of the closer's role. I, I, I kind of thought when it first got announced that that Robertson would come in and just be that closer guy, and then you have uh, Dominguez for the high leverage spots whenever that, that might be. It sounds like that's not exactly what they're going to do. It's still going to be sort of a committee type, I guess. Um, I don't know. I, I would probably go the former route, but, I mean, I think it makes the bullpen – like they were good and now they're I again I'm of, of the opinion that you can never have too many arms there so uh as, like as, especially if you're trying to win playoff games so it definitely helps uh the bullpens just went from arguably from good to even better maybe but I, I think I would still probably use him in the closers role he's done fairly well there this season and then you open up the high the higher you know spots for guys who I mean you know are good fits for that and can get you out of pretty much any jam. So I don't know, but I, you know, obviously it's still a good move no matter how you're going to use him. And I think it makes the bullpen pretty good. The one thing I'd say about Sir Anthony is like, I don't know that he is this year or will ever be a guy that you're going to use three days in a row yeah, uh, very frequently. So I think having multiple options there, having insurance in case Jose Alvarado goes backwards, whatever the case may be, it, it, it was a smart pickup. And honestly, I thought coming into the day that that might be the spot where they just stand pat, hope for Sam Coonrod to come back. So it, it was a plus in that sense that they made that uh, pickup. Yeah, I think like like Nathan said, like you can never have too many of these guys. And even if you have a, a good bullpen, taking it up to a different level, that's kind of insurance for injury or if guys hit a, a stretch where they're just not as effective. Um, never hurts to have an extra guy there. I think like, I think you're like pretty confident going in. We, we've said a couple of times, like going into the playoffs, like they're, they're still going to have to battle to make sure they're in there. But right now looks like they probably will be that third wildcard team and going into the playoffs or going down the stretch in September I think you have like a core of relievers that you're probably like pretty confident in, at mm -hmm. least when you're not throwing a bullpen game and you kind of have to figure things out on the fly. Like in the late innings, this has not been the case in recent years for the Phillies, but 
in the late innings, I think they have like a group of four, maybe like five guys on certain days that you're, you're comfortable giving them the ball and closing out a game for the most part, which is, like I said, a, a big difference of some of these other teams in the past where it was the exact opposite. You take a lead going into late in the game and it's like, well, how are they going to blow it today? Right. And I mean, you go back a year or two ago, you would have been thrilled to have Nick Nelson or Andrew Bellotti closing the game for you compared to some of the options that the Phillies were going with. So for them now to be like your fifth or sixth options late in the game, to be more like middle relievers, it, it does speak to the fact that one of the problems the Phillies had beyond not developing from within is the fact that they weren't hitting on uh, finding kind of some of the diamonds in the rough like they had with Jason Worth and Shane Victorino and Greg Dobbs. And I'm not saying they found Jason Worth, but like you have begun to find some of those guys again that maybe were undervalued in other organizations and you've turned into quality major leaguers. Yeah, and I mean, the other thing it does is of, of all the things uh, Familia was not, which there were many this year, namely good being one of them, uh, Robertson gives them experience that they kind of lacked by designating Familia for assignment, which obviously was the right move. Like, I don't get me wrong. That's what they should have done probably a month ago. But, um, you know, the, he was sort of a, and I, I feel like I should clarify this for the third time. This was not a reason to keep him around on the team. He was somewhat of a guy that it seemed like the relievers kind of looked up to. I think Zach Wheeler's not obviously not in that group, but he was saying people liked him in the clubhouse. He was, uh, and so maybe there was something to the whole, like the relievers valued his experience. They learned something from him and now you're going to lose that, which again is the right call, but you're getting somebody in there who's been in those spots. He's pitched in this league for a long time, made the playoffs, things like that, which is valuable. So um, I think it, it sort of fills that clubhouse void too, if there was actually a void when Yuri's familia got designated for assignment, which anyway, right, right call. Yeah. It, it, no matter how much like supposed veteran presence you bring, like if you bring in a guy that with an eight run lead and you can't trust him to close out. Oh yeah. Anymore. Yeah. Um, any other, any other thoughts on, some of the moves other teams made uh, at this trade deadline. We mentioned before, obviously, Soto to the Padres is the big one. The Mets, their big acquisition is Darren Ruff, like we mentioned. Michael um, Givens. I yeah, think Michael the Givens Mets actually, well. like people are talking bad about the Mets uh, deadline. Like I think they, they had a really good roster to begin with, and you added good role players in Vogelbach. Michael Givens is a guy the Phillies were connected to in the offseason that's had a nice year. So I think the Mets actually did well. And like your Jacob DeGrom looked insane again tonight. Yeah, I I'm I'm with you there, but also like some of these quotes coming out, like, oh, the, the Mets trade deadlines started actually in like December. It's like, all right, but just say you didn't do that much. It's all right. Um, <laughs> you had a good team. Um, Brave right at the wire. They also traded. Will Smith for Jake Odorizzi. Am I missing anything else with the Braves? Not a trade, but Austin Riley for the next 10 years is going to be fun. Yeah, another seemingly low extension. Feels like he maybe could have gotten more. I don't understand some of these deals that they're signing players to. But yeah, yeah Austin Riley staying for a long time. Um, 
anybody I'm, I'm forgetting here, at least in the National League, obviously, American League, there are some deals. Dodgers not really batting with the Phillies for anything, but they get Joey Gallo from the Yankees, who doesn't it feel like Joey Gallo is going to figure it out in L.A.? Uh, no. <laughs> no? I, I kind of I mean, maybe. I kind of think I, – I don't know. So, I don't know, just in general – before we wrap this up, based on based on the moves these other National League teams made, what are your thoughts um, comparatively with what the Phillies did, what it means for the playoff picture going forward? I think the Phillies did well. I think they are the favorite to win the third wild card spot, and they do set up well in the postseason if Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola are pitching well, and especially if either Eflin comes back or Syndergaard gets hot, you're in a good situation. But the, there still are a lot of things that have to go right. And entering the playoffs, you will unquestionably be one of the biggest underdogs. Yeah, Jose Quintana to the Cardinals is the other move that, I don't know, I think you. changes things. I don't know if that's a total, like, makes them the favorite or anything like that. But it was a solid move and one of the guys that the Phillies could have been in on. Um, yeah, I mean, I think all the teams got better. I think the Phillies are included in that. And, you know, the Cardinals wouldn't give up Carlson for Juan Soto, so they didn't get him. Um, and yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it was, it, there was like a brief day or two where it was, maybe it's not just two teams for one spot. It's three teams for two spots with the Padres being included in that conversation too. I think they're pretty much a lock to make the postseason now. I don't know. Yes. It seems like they would be so Two teams for one spot. I, I think the Phillies are the better team. They both improved. I think the Phillies probably improved more. And maybe they were a better team to start with. Yeah, I think Wednesday they should start. They should get Robertson, I think. And Thursday, some of the um, or Syndergaard and Marsh should be coming in. So also think Gene Segura could be coming back on one of these days. So the Phillies could be looking a little different than they do right now in a few days. But kind of have to wait and see how it goes tim thank you for joining us for tim nathan and i'm ty thank you all for listening we'll talk to you next time